Hey bird fans, this is Steve Thate, and you're listening to Bird Fans Forever Podcast. And as the Director of Media Content, I approve this message. Go Birds! Hello everyone, welcome to Bird Fans Forever Podcast number 22. Reminder to everyone, if you haven't already done so, to follow us on Twitter at Bird Fans Forever. And our central point of information is our website, www.birdfans.com forever.com on the website you can find a tab with links to our podcast apple google spotify and others as well as a tab to access our videos on youtube where we're also called bird fans forever so subscribe and follow on twitter and youtube so you can be up to date with everything going on from us our guest for today is uh, redbird for life leroy watkins jr who was a player for illinois state redbirds from 1995 to 1999 and was our quintessential coke machine we'll be right back with leroy Hello, everybody. Bird fans forever. This is episode 22 with Leroy Watkins Jr. He played 1994 to 1998. Yeah! Then he got his prop prop year back. Big brother Leroy, he's my boy in the post. So, Leroy, freshman year, is the number six all-time leading rebounder at ISU with 62. He's the 40th all-time leading scorer at ISU with 1,048 points. He was a member of the two NIT teams. He was a member of two NCAA teams. He scored 18 points against Tennessee. He's got a ton more records, and I'm going to stop there. Mr. Leroy Watkins, thank you, thank you, thank you. How you doing? Thank you for having me. All right, so Big Al, as Dan told me I'm supposed to call you now, so Big Al, we're going to talk about how'd you get to ISU? Well, I I ended up at ISU, um, I used to, I played in a few little exposure camps and I actually went to the exposure camp that Dave Kaplan had down at Illinois State, I think the summer of my junior year. And then I think that's where they saw me play the most because we were down there for like three days. And then I used to just see Coach Rice everywhere throughout my senior year. And I, I had a bunch of different offers. Committed to Illinois State because it was far far away from home, but not far to where no one could come see me if they were coming to watch games. But then, you know, listening to people, I, I was getting recruited by DePaul. People were telling me, oh, maybe you should stay closer to home. So I ended up changing my mind to go to DePaul. But because they were a private school and could take me because I was a would have had to go there as a Prop 48. I ended up back at Illinois State. Awesome. Now, so talk about that first year, right? We talked to Tyrese about being how hard it is to be a Prop 48. Thank God they don't have this anymore. Talk about your being a Prop 48 that first year. Well, I mean, when I first got there, I had broken my foot. So when I first got to campus, I was completely out of shape. So I spent that first year just trying to get back in shape, make sure my grades were right. And the hardest part was, like, not being able to do anything with the team. Like, go to practice, watch practice, watch the games. But I couldn't travel. And while they were, like, sometimes I couldn't even watch practice. So I would go work out. And that's basically what I did. I played intramurals and try to make sure I didn't get hurt doing intramurals and just – 
tried to make sure I kept everything right so the next year I could play. Yeah, thank God the NCAA got their head out of their keister and got rid of the Prop 48. Just bring the young man in and let's start playing and get him the education yeah. and the grades and, and that stuff. So, well, you talked about leaving ISU to go to DePaul, boo, and then coming back to ISU. So then first year, you, your freshman year, right, because you'll get all four years because you'll graduate. Amen, brother. Awesome for that. You pulled, got that done. So we'll just talk your freshman year and not talk it as your first year of eligible. So your freshman year, now you're going up against DePaul, right? And how much mm-hmm. did you win by? Steve might have to jump 20, in and help you here. 25. 25. It was a, yeah. it was a close game. <laughs> yeah. So after after winning by 25, did, did you feel <laughs> that you made the right decision or uh, any second guesses after that? No, I mean, I was always <laughs> I was always wanting to go to Illinois State because, like I said, I, I, I talked to Coach Rice a lot throughout. Coach Rice was always at all the games, and I should have stayed and went with my first mind. But, you know, people started talking. It's like, oh, you should stay closer to home, playing for DePaul, and Chicago kid, go play for big-time Chicago school. So... And everything ended up happening for the best. Now, now it's the opposite, right? You're a Chicago kid. Go, go to Florida, experience life, right? <laughs> it, they, they probably tell everybody to, to leave. <laughs> yeah, I got different. that opportunity. Well, and you also told us off air that you ran into a couple uh, DePaul player where you were playing down in South America, right? Yeah, Chris Hill. He played um, played in Portugal for a while. And I actually ran into um, Tom Kleinschmidt a lot because I would play either with him or against him. I would run into him a lot in Chicago just playing in the summer leagues and stuff like that. And he was like a real cool guy. I know he spent a lot of time in Japan, and we always would talk whenever we run into each other. So, Leroy, we're going to help John out here. So I know John was a geography major. Portugal, Europe, or South America? Oh my bad! Yeah, yeah, Europe. Europe. No, Europe. Europe. Yeah, it's really close. I've been, I've been to Portugal. I've traveled to South America. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought. Yeah, never mind. Keep going. All right. So, well, well that's a great. They speak Q-A. Portuguese in Brazil, though. They do. They do. Thank you. Never been. Just, always wanted to go. Yep. So, well, we just got done tormenting John about South America and Portugal's <laughs> actually in Europe. Why don't we talk about your European trip? Because it seems like you and Dan and Kyle all have pictures on your Facebook of this Europe trip. Yeah, Europe was a lot of fun. I think we I think we enjoyed a lot of what Europe had to offer being a bunch of 20-year-olds for the first time running around in Europe topless beaches and stuff like that. <laughs> and I'll make sure I post a couple of pictures of you and your teammates up on us. So, all right. Awesome. So Leroy, John Dine and I, we're, we're, we're on the Redbird fan board all the time. And when we talk about bigs, there's a whole group of people that talk about, we got to get a Coke machine. And we know what they're, they're saying. We, they need another Leroy because you are the quintessential Coke machine. So talk to us about, like, I mean, you're, you're 6'7", going up against people 6'10", 6'11", maybe what you had to do offensively 
and then maybe what you did defensively, how your game would be different and, and how your body was used uh, to your advantage over them. You know, like Coach Stallings would always say, get down and use your Rick Mahorn ass. He would always <laughs> say that all the time. It's like, use your ass like Rick Mahorn. It's like, dude, it's like, like I said, I always had to be the strongest guy because I had to guard all the bigger, stronger guys. And John, you know, you're wrestling with somebody 25, 30, 35 minutes, and that wears you down by the end of the game, fighting with bigs the whole game that like to get physical. And it seemed like everybody liked to get physical with me because I was so much smaller than everybody else. So, so on defense, would you like, uh, I mean, I assume just push them off the block. I mean, they, they had to be like, you know, the first step, right? Get them away from the block as far as you could. Well, Coach Warburn and like pre-practice every day, the guards would be on one end, the bigs on another. We would be down there, me, Gibby, Rico. We would be down on the end, beating each other up, fighting. He'd have the football pad out there pushing. You got to take contact, finish through contact. But it was all like playing defense on post, people practicing on trying to push me out, me trying to figure out how to keep the bigs out. And it's just, it was a, a big learning process coming from high school to Illinois State. I mean, I was, I learned a lot. So offensively, talk about like how we use that white body to your advantage. Uh, when I got the ball, I tried to use it as best as I could. <laughs> but I mean, coming from school, everything was was different in college. And I think because I started playing so much later, I didn't start playing until freshman year of high school. So I think. I progressed I progressed pretty quick. I picked up basketball pretty quick. But I think if I'd have started playing a lot earlier, I think my game would have been different at Illinois State. And I was telling you guys off air, I had the opportunity at Leroy's freshman year. I had just come back to Bloomington and got a chance in the summer to run with him. And uh, it was Coop and... Big Leroy and Dan and uh, Smiley, Jamar, and uh, and I think it was Kegel and I and CA and we picked up two others. It might have been Woolborn might have jumped in in that one, but man, I got done. And now, mind you, I've been out of college seven, eight years at that point. But I, I looked at these guys and was like, Leroy's gonna be a beast, right? Even at eighteen, before you even hit the weight room, you knew how to use the body, so. Uh, it was awesome uh, getting to watch you play um, and so, win so championships. You, you, you're a big, strong guy, but uh, on episode two, Kyle uh, told us what your nickname was. You, you want to remind the uh, the viewers what your, your nickname was? Tragic Johnson. Remember we yeah, called tragic, you? Tragic Bronson. That was from Chad Altadonna. He would always call me that because... That was one thing nobody liked me doing was dribbling the basketball. <laughs> and you know, when we be when we play in the North Gym, hey, that's the only time I can dribble the basketball. Any other time in practice and in games, 
I'm either setting screens or rebounding or uh, cleaning up uh, offensive or defensive breakdowns trying to block shots. So that's the only time I got to dribble or when I was at home playing in summer league. I remember you getting the ball, though, in the, the lane or, like, closer closer to, like, the, the, the free throw line. And, and you were lefty, right? So you, you used to like to go left. But, you know, one, two quick dribbles and, 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 and – you, you used to get around those big guys and, and for the lefty layup. I remember that. It was part of your game. Yeah, yeah. I try I tried to when I could, when the opportunities presented itself. I was looking at a game early, and I'm posting up hard, fighting with people. Like, nobody won't pass me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look who you played with, right? You had G Smiley. You had Dan. You had Skip. Trotter, they like Muller, to take some shots yep. at Mo Trotter. Oh, yeah. oh, Mo was at the playing with us also. Coop and Mo were with me uh, playing against you and Dan that summer. Good call on yeah. Mo. Um, so yeah, and, and, and again, we called out Kyle and Dan in the NCAA tournament, you know, with, with 19 seconds to go. Excellent job of following up a shot. Tennessee up by one. 12 second shot the game Watkins driving in for the deuce. There's my conspiracy theory that Kyle and Dan threw the defensive play in the next one so they could be the heroes. And so. <laughs> hey, whenever opportunities present themselves, people capitalize. Yeah. Let's just say great. this. If you didn't know how to handle the ball and those dribbles, you're not making that go-ahead basket. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. So, so that was a for, for a big tip. guy, especially back then, you know, big guys didn't handle the rock like like they do these days. You're you're a little no, bit ahead of your time from that. Yeah. Hey, hey, I will say this: I handled the ball. I just wasn't allowed to. <laughs> did, when you handled it too much, did you find yourself sitting next to someone? Or I would hear like a hard stump on the ground. <laughs> Handling the ball and shooting threes were a no-no for me. Did you yeah. get a three off in your career? Did you take one? There's, it's possible that I might have taken one, maybe two. We might have to have but our statisticians look at that, right? Because <laughs> we kind of had, I don't know if you know, uh, Big Dilly, Greg Dillegard played after you, 2004 mm-hmm. to 2008. And he didn't take a single three. I technically, I know I took one three, but it doesn't, uh, the record book doesn't show the three, right? Yeah. But of course, when it's I played, one, they were still. No, I was going to say it's one, possibly two at the most. We'll have to, we'll have to, the statisticians will have to confirm or deny if you got a three in. That'd be interesting to see, right? Because <laughs> you really don't see bigs. Um, as I've been watching a lot of tape over the last four m- months, um, Levi Dreyer seems to be the first big taking threes consistently at Illinois State, and that was the 2006-2007 season. So, okay. So let's so let's talk about you know you were six seven some of those big guys that you matched up against. So there was a non-conference game where the uh, the future number one pick uh, to the NBA. Uh, came to Bloomington Normal, right? And played for Pacific. Yeah. And that Michael was the name? Candy. Yeah. Michael with Candy. So let's, let's tell us about that matchup in that game. You guys you guys end up winning the game. Very close game. Yeah. That, 
that was a tough that was a tough game because he was so big. He made it hard for us to like do a lot. And that's that's one of that's one of those games where being strong really came came in handy because he was a big strong guy. And like I was like I was saying earlier, we talked to him after the game, and he had no intentions. NBA was never on his mind. He was like, oh, I'm going to go back to Europe and just play overseas. And he ended up being first pick in the draft. Wow. Very cool. Not too many people get to say they played against the the first pick in the draft. So that, that... Not at all. Well, I mean, we played, I mean, we played against a few. We had Anthony Parker. We had Michael Lucandy played against Steve Nash. You want to talk about the Steve Nash and what you said about Steve Nash and our boy Kyle Carmel? Yeah. Other than Kyle, that's one of the fastest people with the ball from one end of the court to the other. And Kyle, I've seen Kyle, I mean, road run down the court and score. I can't remember. There was a game where Kyle took it end to end and got us a bucket with the clock winding down. I don't remember what game it was, but I do remember that play. But Steve Nash, outside of Kyle, was one of the fastest people with the ball from end to end. So your boy, Kyle Cartmill from episode two, and your teammate was talking about how he desperately wanted to hit the three against Green Bay so he could have Christmas. We've all been there. You then, off air, started telling a Kenny Wright story. So let's hear your boy Kenny Wright's story, who was also on episode twelve. It was it was it was doing conditioning. Um, I think I want to say I want to say Christmas, possibly possibly preseason conditioning. But anyway, it was conditioning. Um, no one had missed. No one had missed any. Any, any, missed anything. Everyone was making everything. He said, Hey, you guys make this without missing. You get to go home. I think it was Christmas. Like, you guys get to go home. I give you an extra day or something like that. So it was one of those days where some of us were dragging Gibby a little bit more. Man, Kenny Wright, we got all the way down to the end. Kenny Wright grabbed Gibby through him and himself across the line. <laughs> and that ensured we all got our break. <laughs> Big Kenny Wright. Now, you were talking off air 33s and 44s. Um, I was on the last two. We were complaining about 22s, which is down and back and down and back in 22 seconds. What the heck's a 33 and a 44? Almost double. So you down and 22, down and back, down and back, 33, down, back, down, back, down, back. 44 is down back. Oh. And then sometimes, depending on Coach Stalin's mood, he would throw a 55 in there. Wait. <laughs> were you running with the guards or, or the bigs? There was no difference. It didn't matter. There's no such thing as a guard or a big in line drills. You get on the line. Yeah. And, it and, didn't and, matter. And, and then what they do is they count, they, they, they walk down the line and then. You step back, you step back, you step back, you step back, you step back. Half the teams now step back. The first half goes down and back at 22. You're done. Next group steps up. Down and back at 22. Next group steps up, right? So you you run 22 
you breathe for 22 seconds and you run again, right? Yeah. And so you don't, you don't get that much time to you don't get that much of a break. So you got to catch a break in between them running. And I'm pretty I don't, I don't know if Dan said anything, but there were times to where he ran us so much. He's like, I'm I said, I'm blind. I remember saying, <laughs> I remember saying that I'm blind. And Kyle and Dan and Smiley, the rest of those guys, will attest to that. It was it was some rough days. And like I said, that freshman year when I was a prop forty eight, I used to watch practice and was happy. I wasn't practicing that year. I remember times when Smiley would come back to the room. He's like, man. I'm quitting and I'm going back to New York <laughs> because it was that bad for running. But I mean, we all made it through. And Steve asked the question to Big Leroy and me, and he goes, "Okay, if the guards run in 22, there's no difference. There's no Kyle Cartmill, well, who's the fastest guy in the team, and Rob Gibbons and Leroy, who are, uh, my guess would be the two of the slower ones of the team." Not that they yeah. weren't fast for their size, but aren't Leroy or not Kyle fast? Got to run at the same time. Hey, but right. I was pretty. I was pretty fast, but you were very we fast. did so much running. It would get to the point to where my body would just be like, "F it," and just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just gonna be out here until you get tired of seeing me run these lines. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you get it right. You're not keeping – who in the team is going to keep pace with Kyle? I mean, that boy oh, – not, not a whole lot. The only person that used to keep pace with Kyle and Dan was Ryan Crowley. And, right. and what will Ryan Crowley go become after he's done playing? I think a Marines. A Navy SEAL. Oh, a Navy SEAL. I knew it was either a Navy SEAL yeah. or Marines. I didn't remember. Yeah. yeah, Ryan was a beast with that conditioning. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, he taught himself to swim when he was in college, took all those swimming classes and taught himself to swim so oh, he could go try that. out. Yeah, man couldn't I, swim in a lick. I assume when you're a junior or a senior, though, doing a 22 is easier than when you walked in as a, a oh, freshman. Oh, yeah, I could do 22s all day. It's when you get up to 44s and 55 because it was just constant. And then, like, he would get to the point sometimes where we'd have to do 16 in a minute. 16 in a minute was from the sideline. Yeah. Big men's had to do 16. Guards had to do 17. Bender did 16s <laughs> when he was mad at us. Get on the sidelines. You don't deserve to be on the end line. Get on the sideline, right? And so, yeah, you just yeah, run. 16 in a minute was a beast as well. Yep. So did you ever have to have a game where you, you came back and uh, got the luxury of uh, having some extra practice? Yeah, there were there were times where we got threatened if we didn't play and and but yeah, we we definitely came back a couple different times and practiced over stuff that we practiced on all week that we did not execute in the games. Did, did you and, do it much better but, after the game? <laughs> you were in better condition. <laughs> yeah. And he would he would say sometimes that we might not be the most talented team, but we would definitely be the best condition and the strongest minded or strongest willed team that teams had to play against. If nothing else, our will was strong. Agreed. Agreed. I played under a very similar mentality. All right. So we were talking off air and 
We talked about Coop hitting that monster um, um, three and the NIT to get us into the next round. And you were talking about watching Coop shoot, right? And so talk about that. Um, just Coop not playing the whole game and his number finally get called. We had special plays for Coop. We had special plays for Kenneth Pearson as well. And Coop would come in, not played a minute. We run two or three plays for Coop, down eight, either up one, game tied. Then he go back to the bench until his number is called again. And it's just like with Kenneth. Teams would run zone against us, and Kenneth was the zone buster. He would check in. He'd be sitting at the, the table to check in, and you would hear the coach say, watch the alley-oop, and we would still get an alley-oop for KP every time. That that guy defied gravity. <laughs> he defied gravity. Yes, he did. <laughs> i yes, never seen did. some guy just, just get up there so high. Do you remember the game? There was a game, I think it was against Southern, where he scored Uh like, I don't know, was it like 11, 15 points in like two minutes? Like he scored the last 15 points or something like that. It was like, just like a crazy moment. And you guys ended up winning. Like it was like a close game where you guys were behind. And then he, he, because he didn't score tons of points. He scored those alley oops and stuff like that. And he scored like, 11, 12, 15 points, something like that. It was crazy. Yeah, I remember that game. KP, given, given the opportunity, he made the most of every opportunity he got when he was on the court. Yeah. But Just like everybody point. else. Everybody. You said what now, John? Keep talking, Leroy. Keep going. Everybody else. Everybody. I mean, for the most part, everyone on our team knew what their role was. And I think because that made us so successful because everyone knew their roles and played their roles. And that's why we were as successful as we were the time that I was there. Well, what I was going to say, and 100% agree with you, Leroy, right? Uh, My team who would win the conference and go play in the NCAA tournament, we all had a role and we all did it to the best of our abilities and we loved it, right? There would be no not doing it um but what i was going to say is it seemed also like when kp would come in not only would you get the lobs you could seem like you went into the press because kp did the point on that press with those oh, long yeah. arms yeah yeah it was always nice it was always nice knowing he was on the back side so yeah. you, you mentioned coop uh coming in you know cold off the bench and i i do i agree with you like being able to shoot like that like it takes it's takes a talent, right? A special mentality like it, on the bench. It definitely does. And I've and I mean I played in Europe for ten years and I've played against guys that like a lot of Europeans that really shoot the ball really good. Like that's their only role. They run around, come off screens, use me a lot when I was in Europe to come <laughs> off screens and get open. But my role wasn't the same as it was when I was at I State. Um, but they definitely use me to get open. And it's not a lot of people that can come into a game and change can change the momentum of a game like Coop. For sure. For sure. So, 
And Leroy, wouldn't you say, I mean, every time I was in, they always reminded you, get up and on the court twice before you start trying to pull a hook shot or a jump shot, right? Get your legs into it. Get a little sweat going. Most coaches didn't seem to want you to pull in the trigger unless you're Tyrese or Coop, right? <laughs> Pulling right. Immediately when you got in the game. Right? Or Skip. Or Skip. There's so it, it, if they're playing horse, who are you taking, Coop or Skip? Ah, man, that's a tough one. I'm, I'm going to go with Coop. Skip could shoot wow. the ball, too. Oh, yeah. You know, I think Skip had a little a little bit more range than Coop. But I think Coop, as far as, like, catch and shoot, was a better catch and shoot shooter than Skip. I think that's actually a pretty good assessment. Cause I, I remember Skip, you know, he, he'd be behind that three-point line. He wouldn't be buttoned up right, right next to it. He, he could bury it. Hey, I remember some games where Skip was almost shooting from the logo <laughs> and knocked the shots down. Yeah, and I say this like uh, the only people I think shot farther out than Skip was like uh, Tyrese. He took some yeah. shots like holy crap, you, you know. And, and uh, yeah, Antonio Reeves took some took some bombs this past year, but uh, Skip. Was a guy he could sit. He didn't have to be right up the next that line. He could just bury it. Oh yeah, it was like a free throw. But my argument would be, Skip's. We talked about Antonio Reeves. Skip made those bombs right when you. He was pulling up from 25, 28 feet. You know who else I think shot that far out? But we'll never know. Oh yeah, Brad Duncan. Yeah, I know you're yeah. going, Brad. Yeah. yeah. And Leroy, Not, we were watching that. We're game going old school now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So Leroy. After we had been to the incident of late uh, two years in a row, I'm sure you had offers to go overseas and stuff like that, but you made the decision to, to come back uh, uh, your fourth year. So let's talk about that, what you had to do to get that fourth year of eligibility back. Um. So when it was announced uh, that the NCAA had made the rule that if I graduated in the four years that I originally started that they would give the year back. Um, I went the, the, the summer of my senior year. I went to, I think I had, I think I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent certain I was taking 40 hours that summer. I was going to class from eight o'clock in the morning to about 11 at night that entire <laughs> summer. And that was that was a rough summer. I didn't have any fun that summer. <laughs> I was just work, 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 trying to get that extra year back to play. So you finish because you're a prop 48, and they've gotten yeah. rid of that rule. So you get your senior year back. Wow. So are you sweating it coming into finals, trying to make sure you got your grades up and everything? Because that's a lot of hours to take during the summer. No, I mean – they, I mean, I had Chad help me out. They were making, they were making sure that I had all the help that I needed to Good. to get everything taken care of in the time that I needed to get it taken care of in. But like I said, that was that was a rough summer. <laughs> that was a rough. That was that was worse than like a summer of preseason conditioning. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> all day class. Wake up. Yeah. Go to sleep for a few hours, wake up, back to class. Yep, yep. All right, so my boy graduated. Love to see that. Got a chance to play. 
So let's talk about after you were done at ISU, getting a chance to play overseas. You talked about playing in Holland, in Portugal, and then in Angola. So let's start with Holland. What was Holland like? And then roll into the other two. The place where I was in Holland, it was like, it was like a college town. So it was like being at Illinois State. Um, everyone spoke English, which helped out a lot. And I think that's one of the places that I've been to in Europe that I had the most fun. I tell people all the time, if you ever get a chance to go, go to Holland and see the red light district and places like that, if they get a chance. <laughs> all right. So you played two years at Holland. Then you went over to oh. before you before you report, like what was the transition from going college basketball to playing professional basketball? Were, were the were there older players in there that more seasoned and what was that yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, there's always older players there. The only thing for me, um, the only thing for me that was a big adjustment is because for me, how physical I played and how soft the European game was at the time. No one, you know, everyone plays, you touch somebody. It's like you see in soccer where you touch somebody and they fall <laughs> all over the field. And it's just, it was just like that with basketball. You touch somebody and the first, the first few games of my season in Europe, I would get two like offensive fouls because people would, I would bump them a little bit and they would flop and fall on the, on the floor. And I was always picking up offensive fouls. So, so what did you do? How did you change your game to adopt to that different style? Um, learn how to be physical without giving the European players a chance to um, make it look like to where I killed them and they're on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> So I learned, I mean, my, my game opened up a lot because I had to change the way I played. And I always, like I was, I was talking to Kyle earlier, and I was telling Kyle, like, because he was saying he watched a lot of some of my European stuff, and he was like, it was a totally different player than I was at I State. And I was because I got a chance to go out and play. And it's like I did a lot of, like, I shot the ball a lot <laughs> when I was in Europe. I did a a lot of different stuff when I was in Europe. And I told Kyle, it's like, I remember Coach Stallings would always say, oh, you'd be in the NBA if you could shoot the ball like me. So I think that was one of the things that always fueled me to, like, just shoot jump shots. And I always shot jump shots by myself. Sometimes Chad would have me in individual workouts, and I would do – guard stuff sometimes and I'll you know I love to dribble the basketball so I would always just work on dribbling by myself so was Tragic Johnson reborn in, in uh, Europe no Tragic Johnson was always there that's just something they he, he, was, he was unleashed <laughs> it was always there I got the chance to be Tragic Johnson my entire European career you were a pretty good passer no, I, was, and, I, 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 I did. No, I no seriously, like you. And so Diner and I always talk about this. He knows I, I always hate uh, 
when it goes to the big and it's like a black hole and there, there's only one way the ball's going, it's never going to come back <laughs> out. No, no, because I mean, you got to read the defense, right? If you're getting double, yeah. tripled, Check it, it's, yeah, and you, you could pass it back out. So, I, I mean, I can imagine if you opened your game up, you'd be, you know, a good passer. The I saw that at Illinois State. The only time I think I turned into the black hole is when I'd get mad because I didn't, I didn't touch the ball when I was down there working hard to get close. <laughs> and then I think a lot of times if I shot it and shouldn't have, that was the reason why. Well, the, I agree with that. Okay, on the flip side, I've seen where the bigs are working their asses off, right? Yeah. And you can see they're open, and and whatever reason, it's like the guard just is continually misses it, like three, four times. That that's got to be frustrating as well. And the one difference is from being at I-State and playing in Europe, I would scream at the guards to pass me the ball. <laughs> and a lot of times the coach, would, the coach would be like, pass it, get it inside. But in Europe, because of how physical I played, I was always either getting double team to triple team, and that would always open it up for the guards. Yeah. Right. All right, so you played in Holland. You loved it. You went over seven years over in Portugal. How was that experience? Uh, Portugal Portugal was pretty good. The first year I was in a town where a lot of people didn't speak English, so that was kind of hard. But, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm able to adjust in different environments. So being in Europe wasn't that hard after the first couple years in Europe. But being in Holland where everybody spoke English was Made it a lot easier, but the different places I played in in Portugal were in towns where a lot more people spoke English. Very cool. All right. And when I was in Africa playing, I think I had two people on the team that spoke English. No, actually, one guy was a player, and the other guy was the coach's nephew. And he was like the person that picked me up for practice and drove me around when I needed him. He came to do stuff for me. How was that whole experience? I mean, that had to be completely um, different, right? Africa was different. I know when I first got there, like after the first couple months, I was ready to come home. But but I think it was more so because we practice. Like in Africa, all they do is run, 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 run. It's different. It's different than Europe. It's different than here. They they run a lot, and it would be like we were doing two a days for three hours, and all the practice consisted of was just everything was up and down. And I think because of that, and where I was at in Africa, it's not one of those places people like uh, people say like, oh, let's go vacation, let's take a trip to Africa. I wasn't in that that part of Africa. No. <laughs> I was in the part of Africa that's slowly on the come up. But I mean, after a while, after I got in shape, things started getting better for me, and I I had a really good time in Africa. Very cool. All so, right. it's so you're. <laughs> So the most running was after your 10th year in, as a professional ball player. Yeah. You didn't work that out right. I'm just, yeah. just saying. Yeah. 
But see, like when I was home, when I was home in the summertime, I mean, I would be, I would be in shape, but I wouldn't be in shape for the basketball season. So because I was in Portugal for so long, a lot of coaches and teams knew me. So they, they, they ran me a little bit, but I definitely did the most running in Africa. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So Leroy, here's where we give you a chance. Wrap up here. Any statement, comments you want to make here before we end this? Man, I enjoyed this conversation. I'm going to get some of these games to you. You do that. It definitely brings back a lot of memories from times that I definitely forgot. And, yeah, I mean, this was fun. Need to do it to where we have a, a bunch of the guys on at once. That's what we're working on next, right? And so, yep, um, it's pretty much going to be we're going to get you guys on. So you and Kyle are going to get a couple more on the podcast, and then we're going to bring you back and have just a jaw session, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm glad you reached out to Kyle today and chatted with him, right? Um, You know, those are the relationships that are priceless that we get by playing basketball at Illinois State and, and and those the brotherhood, right? I mean, yeah, we 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 went through a lot together, <laughs> blood, sweat, a lot of tears, and a lot of sweat, a lot more sweat. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we we definitely went through it together. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this has been episode twenty-two with Leroy Watkins Jr. And thank you, thank you, thank you, big boy. Honor and thank pleasure you. to. Watch you get to play. It was uh, great getting a chance to run against you during the summer when you kicked my ass um, because I was getting old. And uh, you're just awesome. So thank you, uh, Mr. Thank Engineer. You. Thank you. Thank you. Take us out, big boy. All right, guys. Thanks.